You're listening to the Yuri Jose front page podcast. In this episode, we talked to Lloyd Phillips and Lisa Westaway, who became household names in Ganawage over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. We discussed some of the challenges and successes the community has faced over the past 18 months. Escape the chaos of the everyday and enjoy the waters of the St. Lawrence River with Splish Splash Sea-Doo and Boat Rentals. Experience the most incredible selection of 2020 Sea-Doo's available, as well as our new 22-foot pontoon boat. With a group or on a solo cruise, we've got a fleet of four Sea-Doo's equipped with sound system for your water adventures. Sit back and relax with our driver on the 12-seater pontoon for a four or seven-hour ride. Visit Splish Splash Rentals.com or call 438-871-1587 for booking information. Hello, everybody. My name is Greg Horn, and today we're joined by Commissioner of Public Safety Lloyd Phillips and Cattery Memorial Hospital Center Executive Director Lisa Westaway. Over the last year and a half or so, uh, they've become household names. Uh, <laughs> you know, we've we've heard them on the radio. They've been on your TV and your handheld devices at home, and they've been interviewed constantly for your was both in our print version. Uh, and in our uh, multimedia videos, and they're joined here today in the podcast format. Welcome, guys. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Greg. Good to be here. Initially, when we, we discussed uh, the idea of having this podcast interview, it was as a way to kind of wrap up some of the things that have been going on for the last 16 months or so mm-hmm. uh, with the pandemic and talk about some of the challenges and, and, and you know, some of the b- things that people may not have known about uh, that you guys have been going through. Just the other day, there's been, uh, you know, we now find out we're, we're in the midst of an outbreak of, of COVID-19. So I guess let's start start with that. Uh, so whichever one of you guys wants to, to lead off and then we can go from there. So presently we have 17 cases. However, three of those 17 are people who are not from Gunawage, but uh, but who are here right now. So 17 cases. One of the 17 cases is fully vaccinated with two doses. And one of the 17 cases has one dose of the vaccine. However, none of the others are vaccinated. This is just uh, factual information that we're providing uh, regarding vaccination status because that is a question that people want to know. We have approximately 90 contacts of these uh, 17 cases that uh, some are in isolation, some are not. Again, those who are fully vaccinated are not required to self-isolate. They simply have to monitor their symptoms And if they do develop symptoms, then they should be tested. So much research has been put out regarding vaccinations. And those people who are fully vaccinated have a very limited, almost impossible ability to transmit the virus unless they have symptoms. And even then it's uh, decreased quite drastically. So it's very rare to develop COVID if you've been vaccinated and you you require symptoms to be able to transmit. So you can't unknowingly transmit COVID if you're uh, fully vaccinated. Okay. And I think this is something that uh, we've, we've talked about a lot over the last uh, little while, especially since the vaccination campaign began uh, about their, their, even though you're vaccinated, you're not 100% protected from getting That's the virus, right. right? That's right. So the goal of the vaccination campaign, the goal of vaccinations is to protect people from severe complications related to COVID, therefore to protect people from hospitalization and death. 
It's not to actually stop people from getting COVID, although the vaccines demonstrate a very high efficacy rate. So people getting COVID is drastically reduced when they're vaccinated. And we see that across across the world right now with the vaccination rates and the decrease in cases across the board. With with this recent outbreak, is, is, is it a surprise that, that this is happening? No. Well, we expected to get more COVID cases. And in fact, we had said that on several occasions as we release measures. And that's okay. So there's there's not blame here about uh, the fact that we have COVID. There's not blame in, for any of this outbreak, actually. We expect to have COVID cases. What's really, really important is that as a community, we learn how to live with COVID in a way that we can live our lives safely and protectively, because we still have people who are vulnerable. So even elders who have two doses have the chance of getting COVID, especially because efficacy rates decrease the older we are, the older we are getting vaccinated. Our immune system does not necessarily respond as well as a young, healthy person to the vaccine. We also have under 12-year-olds who are unvaccinated. We have a percentage of the population that's unvaccinated. So we still have vulnerability within the community. So having such high vaccination rates that we have right now is positive, but we still have to maintain measures so that we tra- so that we avoid transmission of the virus in such a large large scale. So right now we see many cases of COVID, but it is all within one family. So this could have happened to any of us who probably are, you know, seeing our family members both inside and outside and feel safe within our own families and therefore not always following the measures as we should when we're with other households. But when we're not vaccinated, we do have to take extra precautions compared to those who are vaccinated. It's not that we want to treat people differently. It's just that we have different levels of risk depending on our vaccination status. So Um, If you're not vaccinated, then the expectation is that you are wearing a mask or following distancing when you're with people um, so that we're protecting others as much as possible. We just recently went into green, the green pandemic alert level. Does this recent outbreak change any of that? At this point, the answer to that is no. Uh, Like when we did our um, final COVID-19 Facebook live update, I, I talked about that moving into green and in the coming weeks, which happened a couple weeks back now. But it also doesn't mean the pandemic is over, right? And this recent outbreak that Lisa was just speaking of, I mean, is is evidence of the fact that you no know, COVID is still here and we're not truly out of the woods of of, uh, of the pandemic. But everything that all the measures that, that are, are currently in place today, you know, will, will remain, you know, for the next uh, several weeks till we see things, you know, get the, you know, stabilize again in, in the community and uh, hopefully this, this outbreak is, is could be now contained and we'll revisit, you know, uh, the measures again in, in, in the coming weeks. But uh, uh, unless we see something really going off the rails more and more outbreaks and stuff, and, and you know, we would then we have to reconsider, you know, all options. But at this point, that's not something under consideration. Yeah. And it's important, as I mentioned, that we learn to live with COVID. So we can't keep things locked down forever. We have to just continue on with our lives, but 
while the community has the education and knowledge in order to be able to do this safely. Now, whether we choose to do so or not is a, is a different story. But, you know, I know that some people have chosen to not be vaccinated and that's okay. That's people's rights. But we, we still have a collective responsibility across the board. We're going to uh, gather data from this recent outbreak because that will tell us a lot about vaccination that I think the community needs to know. So just as preliminary information, what we see are some households with several members within the household where part of the household has been vaccinated and another part of the household has not been, where positive cases are emerging for just the po the non-vaccinated people in the house. So I don't know if I explained that properly, but you know, if you have a total amount of people that live in a household of 10 and a couple become positive, whereas all the others stay negative and those others are vaccinated, well, that tells us something, right? It's just about knowledge and education. And we are seeing that the vaccines are working, but we'll be able to look at that a lot more closely over the, the coming weeks as we kind of cross-reference that data. March 2020. Uh, when we first seen COVID turn into, it was declared a global pandemic and things started rolling really quickly. Did you guys expect to be here in, in, talking about this, uh, you know, all these months later? Uh, that's an easy no. I mean, we knew at the time, I mean, nobody really knew the timeline, obviously, throughout a pandemic since um, March of 2020. But we figured we were in it for maybe a few months, you know, to, you know, to see this through and, and, and so on. And throughout the March, April, May, we figured by summertime, we would kind of be coming out of it. But uh, I don't think anybody envisioned, you know, how things transpired and basically, you know, in Ganawage, in state of emergency for 16 months and you know, very similar, you know, around the world and, you know, in, in, uh, in the province of Quebec for, for sure. And uh, Ontario, they're still not fully open. They still have a lot of measures in, in place, uh, especially in Ontario. No, we never anticipated this. And f and for us as public health and public safety, no, we were monitoring this since January of 2020, you know, and, and as things evolved and we kept an eye on it, then throughout February, we said, oh, this is not looking good. And, you know, sure enough, by March, it really blew up and I know, but uh, we were already in, in, in the in the planning stages, you know, prior to uh, becoming officially a, a, a pandemic. It's certainly been uh, been a long, long road, you know, for us, like uh, working you know, very long hours, you know, for a very long period of time has taken this toll on, uh, I guess I can speak for myself uh, on a personal level. So you take a toll and looking at the, the staff and stuff that people that uh, work alongside us and you know, taking a toll on them as well. You know, so it's uh, those are some of the things that like, like we mentioned at the top of the show about you know, things behind, you know, behind the scenes, so to speak. Right. It's you know, there's a lot of people who are the teams that help us be here. You know, uh, and and are important to to us. You know, Lisa and I are are been the primary you know faces and voices and co leading and and guiding and making some decisions on on behalf of the community. But we couldn't do that without obviously our support staff and guiding us and giving us input. And at the time, and obviously the, the full task force uh, you know to be involved. But it's it's been a challenging time, and I could certainly say. And then uh, as I I want to repeat, as I said on our last Facebook live, it's like I guess every every skill and every ounce of knowledge that I gained throughout my my career, and you know whether it be education or my years on council and and other positions as a paramedic and firefighter, and were certainly put to the test and and, and challenged, and had to create some new knowledge and new ways of doing things, you know, in, in between. There was a lot of challenge, a lot of hard decisions that had to be made. How difficult was it to make some of those decisions like 
shutting down businesses and closing the community for the first part of, of this pandemic? Well, it was obviously very difficult to be honest. I mean, the, the, the first set of closures was, was somewhat, even though it was hard and it was tough, it, it was somewhat easier because everybody was on board right in the beginning because nobody knew what we were facing here. So when they seen the world basically starting to shut down and close. And so it was like, even though it was still tough, we you know it was, it was easier because it, that was the, our only defense at the time, but not, doesn't make it any easier. But then, the, but other decisions and then the second wave when we had to restart closing things back down again, then that's when it really started getting uh, more, much more difficult. And, you know, literally, you know, like spending, you know, days pondering a decision that has to be made and you know, end up, you know, there were those literally sleepless nights and early mornings and you're debating what's the best way to go and, you know, are we debating, uh, is this the right decision, yes or no? Is it premature to make a decision now or, or can we wait? And if we wait, is it, is it too late by the time we, you know, we, we react? So it was hard to try to make decisions in a preventative manner and try to relate that to the community because if the community don't see, didn't see at times the threat that we seen. And so we're taking preventative measures. So people will say, well, you're acting too harshly or you're being too strict or whatever, but no, we were able to like predict what, what we seen coming. And, and, uh, you know, we took some flack for that over, over, over the, the months, but you no, know, we stood by our decisions, you know, and, and up until you no, know, this past, uh, June, uh, I think with, with zero deaths in our community, like I said, I think that, uh, our decisions proved to be correct, even though how hard they were at times. And, uh, it, it was tough because you knew whatever you were deciding when an increase in measures or decrease in, uh, increasing them, making them stricter or making them or relaxing them. It's going to have a direct impact on somebody's life, on your personal freedoms, on people's businesses, you know, on, on how the community operates and so on. So, you know, they weren't taken lightly at all, you know, and, and, they're, and they're still not because like, like we said, we're still not 100% out of the woods. Some decisions still have to be made and we, we do our darndest to, you know, you know keep our eye on, the, uh, eye on the goal there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I can add that much, but <laughs> the, I guess that's really the point is that every decision we made, we knew there were impacts to again, human rights, to economics, to psychosocial and spiritual uh, well-being. Uh, no matter the situation, every single decision we had to make impacted somebody personally. And we often, and what people don't realize is we often had to speak to those individuals on a daily basis about the impacts that we were making in their lives. Because, of course, people are very vocal, which they have the right to be. So, And it was so important to us and it still is to be as open and transparent and honest as possible with every decision we made. Although sometimes we had to make decisions really quickly, we couldn't necessarily communicate as well as we would have wanted to. But that was the main hallmark of, of everything that we did in the past year and a half was to communicate as openly and transparently as possible to provide as much information. But People don't see all of that, all the information that you're providing, or they perceive it differently than how it was meant to be released or whatever the case may be, or people judge the decisions based on how it impacts them personally. So that was probably the most difficult part is knowing how you were affecting people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis, but feeling confident in the direction you were going in because it was based on facts and science and, and data. It, everything was data-driven. So yes, we were always confident in the direction we were going, but was it easy? No, no, never easy.
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you no, know, throughout the 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 height of of the pandemic and and you no know, wave one, two, and three, and we rarely, if any time, really talked about our ourselves, you know. And and I think I, once or twice I may have mentioned it uh, on on Facebook Live. We're we're living this too. You know, it's not like somehow we were we were immune to the decisions that were made. You know, we have to make the decisions, and we're restricted just as much as everybody else was. You know, and because yeah, I mean, some of, of of the critics, if you want to call them that, you know, were somehow had this illusion that you know we're somehow immune to <laughs> to some of the decisions, but you know, we we lived it just as much as everybody else did. You know, and maybe even even more so at times because we were the heart of it. You know, and uh, working and trying to mitigate the, and respond to the pandemic, but at the same time, we have we have family in, as well, you know, that we have to look after and look after ourselves too, you know. And it was again challenging to say the least. Yeah, and then you know, then later, I guess later on in 2020, the news news start coming out about vaccines, and and then you know maybe that's that's the light at the end of the tunnel, right? And then you start seeing different things, and and then the work to get a vaccination center here. How how did that all come about? I mean, I think people may, may not realize that it wasn't a fait accompli. To, to have a vaccination center here? No, no, no. There was a lot of work that was done behind the scenes to make that happen. Of course, it is our right to have our own vaccination center here, but it wasn't natural, just a natural occurrence. So to actually get the vaccines earlier than the rest of the population and to have the vaccination site here was uh, just, you know, a lot of work that was done behind the scenes. Well, and, and, I'll give credit where credit is due. It was, it was primarily due to, to Lisa's work and, and her team you know, uh, and her connections and knowledge of the healthcare system and, you know, to really get the ball moving and making sure we secure, you know, the, uh, the vaccines early for our community. Uh, you know, and so you know, that was the big driving force, you know, behind that. And then coordinating internally, you know, working with the Mingo Hall and their management staff over there and the board of directors and everything just fell together nicely. But again, yeah, a lot of moving parts there. We are fortunate, you know, um, as a community to have vaccination center right here really, and it proved to to work out well. We're closed up from there now. You know, we're moving at the end of the month. We're going to have another uh, setup at the sports complex, you know, for uh, for another round of vaccinations for, for the younger population. But as well, you know, uh, we're never going to say no to anybody who wants to get their first vaccination or if somebody's eligible for their second. And how long are you guys going to be set up there? Not very long. <laughs> I'm sure hockey's going to start <laughs> and they're going <laughs> to kick us out. Well, our vaccination campaign is really generally over at this time. So we have a few more days set up for second doses, which will be at the end of July. After that, we'll probably vaccinate at the hospital, I would say, because it'll be fewer and fewer people as we go. So we're we're fortunate because we continue to vaccinate first doses for community members. They keep calling and we keep vaccinating. So that's great. So that means that we'll have every time we do a new first dose, we have a second dose to do four weeks after that. So uh, until we've completed all the second doses, we'll continue to vaccinate in the community. But as those numbers dwindle, then we'll be sending community members to the mobile clinics across uh, Montreal and Montérégie because it it we won't be able to continue to do that because you you can't just vaccinate one person at a time you need to be able to vaccinate 13 people at a time so that when you open a vial you're not wasting doses so once we're no longer able to do that then we will probably stop vaccinating within the community what's the future of vaccinations right i yeah. mean there was there well, was talk about you know maybe having to get a booster shot after so many yes. so much time and you know do we do we know any 
definitive answers yet? No, we don't have definitive answers. So what we are still waiting for is approval from Health Canada for Pfizer vaccines for 12 to 15 year olds, uh, for under 12 year olds, sorry. So we're still waiting for that. And the latest we hear is that that's expected sometime around September, but we're hoping that that, that it happens more quickly so that we have a safer return to school. And Third doses, uh, what we're seeing in research right now is that we are expecting to need a third booster shot or a third dose for the elder population who are not necessarily responding. They're not working as well at the same efficacy rate for that group, age group. So we expect to have to do a third dose for that age group. But again, this is all very preliminary data. So until we know more, then we we uh, we can't move forward. But we expect to get that information, I guess, in the next little while. And, and if when that comes out, then we will do that within the community. What are some of the biggest lessons that you guys learned and I think in the, in the community learned over the last year and a half or so? Good question. Um, well, I I guess in terms of, I mean, lessons, I mean, and certainly, you know, on a positive side, you know, I mean, the, the community spirit is still there, you know, and, and our community really does pull together, you know, and, and when we, when we have a threat of any sort in, in Ganawaga, you know, in this case, it was the virus and the vast majority of people pulled together and, and, and worked, you know, for the common goal of protecting the most vulnerable in the whole community. And, and that was, that's a, a large part of the success, you know, uh, is just the, the community spirit and, uh, or organizations, you know, uh, you know, working together and not, you know, really worrying about who, where the employees are working as long as they're under their work and, and, you know, and, and collaboratively and, and stuff of that nature for uh, also, also like helped. So I think that's one thing I, I could say for sure, that spirit of our communities is still alive, alive and, and, and well, mind you, you know, it, it's longer this goes on, the more that gets strained. Right. And, and, uh, I know everybody's sick and tired of talking about pandemic and sick and tired of hearing about vaccination and sick and tired of whatever else and sick and tired of hearing my voice. You know, I'm sick and tired of talking about it. Believe me, no longer goes on. And, and then, then you no know, people you know, get much more critical. Right. And it's easy to go on Facebook and you no know, punch in and say whatever you want. Doesn't make it fact. I'm, I'm glad to see it's only a small minority because when I walk down the streets and, and gone to walk, I go for walks or I meet people at the, at the market or wherever. And it's like, uh, many, many people saying thank you and great job and thumbs up and stuff. So uh, I know those people on Facebook are hard of minority. That collaboration has been really great between the organizations. What like what the community was able to accomplish in that short period of time, what was built in order to face this uh, virus is really quite something to be proud of within the community, both community response, but also organizationally what we what we were able to build in terms of uh, financial support, housing, food security, uh, community policing, uh, public health, the testing site, the vaccination center, all these things that didn't ex- didn't necessarily exist in such a collaborative, holistic way to respond to the needs and and the com- the communications and the community response. All of that together is what really created, such a a wonderful success. I think another positive is that through COVID, the community was, became better able to express their trauma, not just as a result of COVID, but of many other situations that happened to arise during the course of the last year and a half or that happened prior. I think people have become more vocal and, and have been able to express themselves in a more positive way in a negative way also, but 
we'll take the positive end. And I think that that's something that that is a good step towards healing that maybe didn't exist before. A lot of a lot of pain and trauma was swept under the rug and now people are expressing themselves more. Even if it's expressed in a negative way, that's still an expression and that's something that the organizations can work with addressing. So those are those are positive uh, impacts really of what's happened in the past year and a half. And I hope that that continues because it allows, like I said, services to be developed, uh, people to express themselves and that that's, always a path towards uh, positive outcomes. I guess that collaboration between the organizations, hopefully that will continue as well because there were silos that were broken down as a result of COVID that, that could be helpful in the future when facing other threats or other difficulties or you know just regular community needs. Those are all positive things as well. So uh, all in all, I think... Um, we have a lot to look forward to in terms of how we um, work towards meeting needs and, and developing services in the future. Okay, any final thoughts? Final thoughts. That's always that question, right? People say, well, anything else to say? Then you say, no, but, and you keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> and it, no, it's, it's always been, you know, we said this, it can't be said, said enough about the, the timeline and how long an emergency lasted and under a state of emergency or even, you know, uh, with a task force, you know, uh, any emergency, you know, is it's usually a very finite period of time, right? It's uh, a couple of days, you know, a couple of weeks at the most, you know, you know whether it be a flood or whether it be something, something of that nature or major power outage. We've seen the ice storm in the past. Again, it was like a few tough weeks, but it was, it was over. That's how the systems are designed in terms of you know, emergency preparedness law, incident command system, which we call, what we also call the task force, you know, as, as uh, emergency preparedness and no plans were meant for this long. So we said it before about having, we had no playbook for this, you know, and, and so it was just everybody's collective knowledge and collective leadership abilities and saying, okay, where do we go from here? You know, and, and, and making decisions and trying to predict what's happening, you know, and what's to come down days and weeks to come. So it was like really like a, like a chess match, you know, when we had to, you know, plan two or three moves ahead. And sometimes with uh, only half the information because the information uh, was changing on a day to day basis at times. And uh, so we had to navigate through that. So, uh, you know, hats off to everybody who was involved. And it's like. You know, working with the team that we had, uh, couldn't have asked for a better team, you know, to be able to to carry on what we had to do. And there really is no final word because this is far from over. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, as we see in other parts of the world that have much higher double vaccination rates than we do here in, in Canada or in, even in North America, we, we know that uh, we, we're probably going to face uh, kind of a a backwards trend come September. And uh, so, you know, we're already kind of gearing up for that, maybe going to take some vacations so that we can be ready to deal with that in September. But um, it's far from over. So there, there's no final words yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe the end of a chapter, maybe not the end of the book. <laughs> yeah. no, but, uh, but we certainly hope so. And a matter of fact, just watching the, the news this afternoon, you know, uh, national news, and they're, they're talking about about the, the fall time and a fourth wave, you know, and it's, it's not a matter of, of if, it's a matter of when, uh, unfortunately, but uh, by having enough people fully vaccinated, you know, and people abiding by the basic health measures, you know, that, you know, that, that could be a little ripple, you know, it doesn't have to be a wave. That's again, that maybe a part of the message is, you know, for those people who, who are not 
not vaccinated, that's the end. That's the solution. Well, you know, at the end of the day, in my opinion, is, is enough people get vaccinated. If that fourth wave comes or when it comes, you know, it could be, be a small ripple and, and we don't got to look at additional measures at that point in time. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be talking to you again uh, probably in the next few weeks and months. Uh, so, Niao Goa. Thank you for listening to the Yuri Guze front page podcast. I'm Greg Horn, and Yuri Guze would like to thank the Community Media Strategic Support Fund for supporting this initiative.